Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Brown. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the dynamic Joe Fordyce. Joe, the coaching search for the Flyers kind of turned up a notch this week. No, there are no decisions made, and we don't know a whole lot about who's being interviewed and where they stand in the process, but there definitely is another candidate in the mix, in my mind, and that's Bruce Cassidy, who was very surprisingly fired by the Bruins on Monday. He never missed the playoffs during parts of six seasons with Boston. 107-point season, 51 wins for the Bruins, and he's gone. I definitely think Bruce Cassidy needs to be in the mix. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, and the the situation and the kind of reports you're seeing coming out of Boston are very weird how he was basically, it seems like at least, assured that he was coming back um, when they lost in the playoffs um, a month ago or so, roughly. And then all of a sudden he's out. And um, so that's a weird little side story to this, but it absolutely has to be in the mix. I mean, uh, now – you know, he had made the playoffs, and I think he did a nice job managing egos. And now you're seeing reports that David Posternock wants out of Boston because Cassidy has now been dismissed. So he seems to be a guy that the players liked. Um, I, I view him as a kind of a, a hard-nosed, little bit of a throwback type of coach. Um, but – to me, uh, what what is encouraging there is you do see some development of those young defensemen that they had under him. Uh, Charlie McAvoy, obviously Charlie McAvoy was a very high draft pick, so it's likely he would have developed under any coach. But, um, you know, Matt Grizzlick became a, a much better player um, with Cassidy at the helm. Um, and, you know, you really you – really, um, He's another guy where you look at guys, uh, the guys that played under him, and you you notice that he seemed to get the most out of players like Jake DeBrusque. Sean Corrales not there anymore, but Sean Corrales got a free agent contract based on how well he w- played in Boston. Um, and and these are, you know, nobody's saying like no, nobody's like uh, blown away by the skill of guys like DeBrusque and Corrali and these guys, but those guys always were there in key moments. And we know it from watching the Flyers so much. It feels like every time they played Boston over the last number of years with Cassidy at the helm, it was those guys. It was the DeBrusques, the Corrales, and a player, and of course, Marshan, Pasternak, and, and Bergeron. But beyond just those guys, you had these other group of players, Kyle Clifton and, they were always there and they were always causing havoc in games. And I feel like that is a coaching thing that is instilled. And, you know, Cassidy, you, you can't argue that he got the most out of his players. Um, you know, it, I would, I, I, he has to be right at the top of the list. To me, he's, he's gotta be second or third in your, um, on your wish list if you're the Flyers at this point. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think he's right behind Trotz in that two to three range, Joe, as you mentioned. And it doesn't matter where the Flyers are in their search. Like I don't even care if they have a front runner that they've kind of circled and possibly. Yeah, you have to start over. Once this happens, you have to start over. You have to include Bruce Cassidy. This is kind of the beauty of patience sometimes is that you never know. You never know when a, a coach like this could come on the market. And Boston did fire him, you know, later than what other teams did in terms of looking for a head coach. Uh, it was a decision, obviously, they mulled over for, uh, you know, weeks, days. So now Bruce Cassidy is available. And, yeah, you don't see coaches of this pedigree out there often. You just don't. And that's why you really have to consider him if, if you're uh, if you're in the Flyers' shoes, in my opinion. And just there's so much to like. The pedigree, the winning pedigree, uh, the track record of making the playoffs, the track record of developing depth role guys, Joe, as you mentioned. I think a lot of people would maybe look at his teams and say, well, oh, he had the perfection line. He had Pasternak, Bergeron, Marshawn. He had a great goalie in Tuka Rask for the majority of his tenure. But, you know, you don't win with three guys and a goalie. Uh, he consistently got more out of his depth pieces than probably other coaches would have, and that made Boston complete teams. They could have been very top-heavy, maybe get into the playoffs, losing the first round. They were consistently always up there among the team's elites. Their numbers were great. He had the most uh, fewest goals against during his, his tenure there in Boston. Top three PK, top three power play. They scored, and they were always going for the Stanley Cup. It was not just a, hey, we just got in. They, their teams were very good. And, Joe, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the way he was able to win in a market like Boston. I just think he's coming to a situation if the Flyers – do interest him if they do want him in Philadelphia and he does come here, he would be in a very similar spot of a pressured film market uh, where it's demanding and the playoffs are the expectations. And he met expectations there. He made the playoffs. They were consistently going for it. I mean, they were one win away from the cup in 2019, the blues seven game series. And they lost to the blues in that seventh game. So I just think there's a lot to like there, Joe. And do you think maybe the Northeast part of it could come into the equation for him. He Now, if you look back at his time with the Bruins and his time coaching their AHL affiliate, he's been in the Northeast for 14 years now uh, consecutively. So maybe that could come into play. You know, he's gotten used to living in this area. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. And you just mentioned him coaching when he coached the Pro- Providence there. So a lot of the guys that he ended up coaching on the Bruins, he groomed them while they were with Providence. And I think that's another thing you have to like because there is a track record of player development. And I feel like recently with the Flyers, there is a serious problem with player development. Um, You know, drafting players, the Flyers have had some recent high picks. And seeing them through to successful NHL deals, I think is, is an issue with this team. Because we're not seeing, we're seeing a lot of guys. Um, I guess their profile being a little bit inflated, and then maybe 
it's a little bit of a letdown when we actually see the NHL product. And I feel like his track record with Boston is the opposite where, you know, guys would come up and maybe you didn't hear a ton about them and then they become successful NHL players. And I feel like that is a strong attribute because he's going to bring with him certainly assistant coaches and guys that are familiar with him from his previous stop. And I think that, you know, player development is a perhaps underrated part of what the Flyers need in this next coach. They just do. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It's so true. Uh, absolutely. And I think the Flyers know they need to improve on their talent evaluation and then developing that talent, hitting on talent in the draft and then developing it um, to where they're cornerstone pieces. I don't think they've done an awful job at it, but it can be better. Um, and they can hit on more players and develop them, um, develop them better as well. Uh, and yes, Cassidy, I think, does have a history of of developing guys. Joe, do you worry or concern? Are you concerned at all about? Do you feel like he was, you know, he had the benefit of star power in Boston? Um, I feel like I have seen that argument here and there that he was maybe just on a, you know, in a really good spot in Boston with. Um, three elite players and a really good goalie. I don't buy that as much, but I feel like I've seen that here and there. Yeah, well, but here's the thing, though. So any coach, you're going to reflect back on their previous success. And generally, every coach that has had previous success, it has come because, in part, due to some of the players they had. So Barry Trotz won a Stanley Cup with Alex Ovechkin, TJ Oshie, John Carlson. The list goes on and on of the players that that Capitals team had. Now, we've, we've pointed out with Trotz how he got more with less in stops like Nashville and with the Islanders. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, you can't win a Stanley Cup or get to a Stanley Cup or get to a conference finals or multiple conference finals with one line and a goalie. Um, you know, we, we saw that in the 90s with the Flyers. They had one line. <clears throat> but I don't, you know... That's that's only so. <laughs> excuse me. That only goes so far, um, and I think, like we said, the depth really showed up on in Cassidy's teams, and that's key because you can't win without depth. Yeah, they definitely, Joe. You're right. They had a rotating cast sometimes of depth pieces, uh, and even on defense as well. And they and they still were consistently there. So uh, he. They, they, he definitely knew how to coach up the players that were around that core, and that's important. So, yeah, I don't buy a whole ton into the, well, he was blessed with stars. Uh, no, he had good players. But as you mentioned, Joe, every team has good players. Uh, the teams that typically win have a star or two or just really, really good players. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, and, and to me, to, no, to not have one hiccup uh, where you miss the playoffs is pretty impressive. That's, that's a demanding market where they're consistently looking to win. It's a lot of pressure, and not once did they miss the playoffs. He even did it this year, which uh, Cassidy, 107 points, 51 wins, and they didn't have Tuka Rask other than, I think, four games. Uh, so Tuka Right, was- and let's not forget, too, yeah. in previous you know years, he had to deal with some drama involving Tuka Rask. Will he or won't he retire? He, yeah. he opted out of the bubble. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you had – he dealt with things that – are very tumultuous occur like events that go on right in the midst of seasons and playoff runs and things like that. And they, they 
they had some speed bumps. Of course, they didn't win a Stanley Cup, but I wouldn't say any of the issues were because of the drama surrounding Tuka Rask. So you have to take into account that he's dealt with a lot of stuff. And um, like I said, when you see a guy like Pasternak say, and, and I'm not I'm not quoting him, I didn't talk to him, but the reports out of Boston are that Pasternak is unhappy and wants out because Cassidy was dismissed. And I think that says a lot when one of your star players right away comes out and says, this is um, this is not right. And uh, and, you know, to me, that that speaks volumes. Tells you how surprising it was too, not only to us uh, in the media, but to even players on the roster. Uh, I don't think anyone saw it coming. And I have a feeling the Flyers, when they got wind of it, were probably like, okay, well, Bruce Cassidy, uh, when would you like to chat? So, uh, again, a, a slow – It should be noted, though, that I'm sure there are other teams that asked him if they would like to chat because, as you know, you've alluded to, the coaching um, – the coaching carousel or, or uh, sort of the market is not exactly um, on fire. And, you know, a lot of the jobs that were open are still open, and the Flyers are just one of them. Flyers Talk is brought to you by Great Railing. Stop into Great Railing for the highest quality and lowest prices on all your railing, decking, and fencing needs. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Yeah, Joe, this coaching search uh, in this NHL offseason is kind of at a snail's pace. I can't say I recall seeing anything quite like this in a little while. Um, at least in my time covering the Flyers, I don't recall it ever being like this. And it's kind of fascinating. It's almost like everyone's waiting for the first shoe to drop. And I think that first shoe to drop would be Barry Trotz making his decision. I have a feeling that almost every single team that's looking for a head coach, and right now there's seven of them, is looking at Barry Trotz. And maybe they're waiting for Trotz to make that decision, and then they're going to start to make their decision once he makes his call. So it's kind of weird. It's all kind of at a standstill where teams are just interviewing and you know going through the diligent thorough approach that they should but sometimes you see teams jump on a candidate sometimes you see them wait right now it seems like everyone's waiting and it's just such a contrast from what the Flyers did in Chuck Fletcher's first hire they hired Elaine Vigneault nine days after the season ended it was fast very quick just over a week right now they announced the coaching search on May 3rd officially when I think everyone knows it probably started before then 
And right now it's June 10th, so well over a month into this, you know, into this coaching search, and they're still going through interviews and everyone right now. It's not just the Flyers. It's six other teams now that are looking for a head coach and are still doing so. Have you seen anything quite like this, Joe? And do you think the Flyers are in a decent spot? Like, how do you think they stand against other teams? And do you think they're smart to be patient here? Well, um, smart to be patient may not completely be up to them. Um, and, I, I, and I feel like that because if you're an agent for one of these coaches uh, pr or prospective coaches and, um, and you see there's seven jobs open, why – why not? Why wouldn't you try to create a bidding war? So, and that may be what's going on. Um, but it wouldn't make a ton of sense for a coach that's not Barry Trotz um, to make a decision. And maybe it wouldn't make sense for a team to make a decision if a bunch of people are waiting on Barry Trotz. So, um, like you said, I, I think there's one or two guys that are going to set this market. Um, and I may be wrong. This is just an opinion. But, you know, John Tortorella's name's been out there a while. I feel like maybe he's not interested in a coaching job because with all these other guys, they're coming off other jobs. With him, he's not. And I feel like if he was going to coach – he, he would have already taken a job. So I'm my thoughts on, on his sort of um, future have changed a little bit and I could be dead wrong. He could get hired by someone tomorrow as could any of these guys. But um, Tortorella thing to me is, is interesting because, you know, he's making TV appearances. He's been very hush hush on this. He made a brief comment about the flyers a few weeks ago. Um, just saying that he interviewed with them, but um, you really haven't heard his name since. And to me, it, that kind of, I would almost take his name out of the uh, the mix at this point. And now with Cassidy's name in there, you know, that when you put together like your depth chart, I would say Tortorella's name keeps going down, uh, mainly because just uh, – recency by i mean you know he hasn't coached so not not in a couple of years at least whereas you know guys like trots guys like cassidy they're coming right off a job where they had success yeah i definitely think recency bias is real in these in these types of things even in our minds but also uh in management minds where they're trying to make this decision uh a lot of it definitely is kind of a what have you done for me lately kind of thing and John Tortorella hasn't won a Stanley Cup, I think, since 2004. Whereas you have a Trotz who did it not long ago in 2018. Cassidy obviously has a rich track record over the last six years. Um, so, yeah, I think that stuff does come into play. I do think John Tortorella is still being considered uh, very seriously. But I feel like he's not the top candidate in a lot of teams' minds. Like, So maybe that's why the waiting game is there for him. And there's no decision made because maybe – He's in the picture, but he's not at the forefront of the picture. So maybe a lot of teams are kind of telling him, hey, we really appreciate your time. Be patient here. We're going to kind of go through a round of interviews, and we'll be back in touch. That's just a guess on my on my part. 
I think he wants to coach again, Joe. Like, do you think he is maybe he's happy with the t- the TV gig? I, you know, I know some guys when they get out of it, they realize the, you know, the TV gig's pretty nice. It's not a lot of pressure. It's, you know, he probably gives you more of a life, and uh, and it still pays you handsomely. But I, I feel like he wants to coach again. The the competitor in him, I think, I think he does. But I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I agree. I think he wants to coach again, but let's be let's be real about this. I'm sure money has to do with this. Sure. So if you're John Tortorella, you're appearing on ESPN, you're being paid for that, you have a resume. Uh, um, if you know that several teams are interested in you, why wouldn't you wait to have the market set itself, especially considering you're uh, like you're currently – doing something you're you're currently involved with espn and their hockey coverage and um you know what's why wouldn't you wait at this point um and you know it let's be all all of us want the would want the most money that we could get and letting the market set itself to me is the way to make sure you get the most out of whatever your next job is going to be. So I think that definitely has something to do with it. Um, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he he won a Stanley cup in Tampa coached in New York, which you can bet is he on his resume is going to be, I coached in the biggest media market that there is Um, original six team, a lot of pressure to win all those sorts of things. So he can handle basically anything. And we've all seen him, his handling of New York media play out on, you know, just search his name on YouTube. That's what comes up. And then of course, Columbus, where he got more out of way more out of the team. When you look at their roster and what the results were with the four straight playoff appearances. So um, at this point, I think money has a lot to do with this too. And when it comes to Tortorella, when it comes to all of them, but specifically Tortorella, who is one candidate that's not coming off of a job just this past, this season that just ended. One reason I think Tortorello could be somewhat of a sleeper for the Flyers job is because a lot of people would probably opine that the Flyers don't have a very attractive job. And that's I think that's fair to say that among all the gigs that are open right now, the Flyers might be toward the toward the bottom stack of in terms of attractiveness. It's just it's a tough spot. Um, with a lot of pressure, um, maybe a talent deficiency with the roster. You're not exactly sure what the offseason is going to hold for this team. I think that's probably one of the big sales pitch sales pitches for the for Fletcher is in his interviews. He's he's probably divulging what they're going to do in the offseason, so these coaches can get a read on who's going to be here, what the plan is, are we rebuilding, are we trying to win now, all that fun stuff. So you do have some coaches with pedigree that probably are going to have their pick of the land, whereas Tortorella might not as much. And I really think he doesn't give a darn what's here. I think he's kind of got a uh, bullish mentality of, uh, you know, I can coach anything. And I think he had that in Columbus of like, I don't care what the market is here. I don't care what the, the, the history is here. I don't care what we have here. We're going to win and we're going to believe in winning. And I feel like Tortorella could bring that to the Flyers. And I think it would be, you know, hey, I'm open to this job. I think there's a lot of ingredients here. I'm not looking elsewhere. I believe in the Flyers. And I think we can win despite the ugly record last year. So I do feel like he's maybe a sleeper in that regard. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, I just go back to my uh, talk I had with Scott Hartnell last week, and yeah. uh, I wrote about it on NBC uh, on our website. And, you know, he said when, when Tortorella came to Columbus, it was exactly that situation that, you know, he needed to instill a belief in that organization. And it's not just about the players. It's the, the trainers, the assistant coaches, the organization, the front office, that we're going to have a winning culture here. It might not seem that way. We, we might be looked at as a team where that free agents flee rather than view as a destination. And that happened while he was there, yet he still managed to lead them to the playoffs despite, you know, not having the greatest resources, um, you know, at his fingertips. And, and, and I think there is this – a guy like Tortorella, and, and I'm sure all these guys know that particularly with the Flyers, there is a optics – component to this hire and they know it a guy like trots a guy like tortorella a guy like cassidy they know with their name comes a pedigree comes a certain um immediate changing of the face of the franchise with a hire of one of those three in particular that i don't think is there with a guy like a jeff blashell or someone like that where they don't immediately come in with this big pedigree and kind of change the whole landscape of the organization. So, you know, these guys are smart guys. They know that they know that, that, that is definitely um, part of this, particularly when it comes to the flyers, you mentioned some of the other jobs that are open. I don't think that that's really a big thing with some, like a team like Winnipeg, they have a solid roster. They have a guy like Kyle Connor who can be a number one superstar caliber player. Um, you know, a team like Detroit has all these young pieces, uh, and they have a GM who clearly is in charge of, of, of what goes on with that team. When you look at the flyers, I think almost everything is a question mark at this point. And as you mentioned, that kind of moves them maybe to the bottom of the stack of the seven jobs that are available. Um, when you look at what's already in place, um, you know, when, when you take over. So I think that there's definitely an optics and a, um, uh, like, I don't want to say core. Cause I don't know that the flyers core is developed right now. Uh, like the pieces that are already in place, like you're, I mean, I guess you could say Hayes, Couturier, Atkinson, those guys are core guys. And, you know, Ellis, assuming he plays and is healthy, um, and Provorov and guys that have some term on their deals. But I don't think any of those guys will tell you that the core of this team is is fully formed. And if it is, that's problematic. It's definitely still being developed for sure. I agree. And that's something that the, I think the new coach will have to come in and kind of do is kind of form that core uh, and get it set in stone and then have everyone follow below. But I will say I, I do feel like the Flyers attractiveness takes a lot of takes a lot of uh, flack. But I, I do think there are things here that could really intrigue a coach. And, and I've heard from so many people that when they get here, they rave about the Flyers facilities, how everything's state of the art, that they they really invest and they put things in place for people. So, and I've heard that from players and from coaches. So. I do think there's more here than what people probably believe and see. 
you know, maybe you look at the numbers and you look at the players and you, and you do question what's here. I do think there are some things that could intrigue people. And here's the other thing. If you come here and you turn this around and you get it back to, I'm not even saying the glory days of the 70s. Obviously, that would be ideal. But I'm saying if you turn it around and get it to the way that it was in the 80s or the 90s where you're making, you're in it every year. You're in the conversation and you're making the playoffs. You're making conference finals. You're making Stanley Cup finals. You're, you're a, you're a, you might have a statue of yourself built here. I mean, yeah, you know, that that's just the bottom line. And, you know, whereas I, I'm just going to pick Detroit. Yes, it's hockey town. Yes, if you turn it around, it's a big, it's a huge deal. But that team has had several different eras of sustained success and sort of dynasty type of teams. And, um, I feel like there's a lot of talk around how long it's been since the Flyers won here. And I just feel like, you know, if you get those seats filled and you you, you take this team and kind of throw it back to the glory days, um, your legacy here is, I mean, the sky's the limit. I agree. I think that appeals to coaches because they know, okay, well, they haven't done it in a while and I can be that guy. Um, I always wonder that sometimes if like when you take over, you know, a team that's had rich success directly in the past, does it appeal to you as much? Like, will you be held in as high a regard as the guys before you? Whereas the Flyers, everyone knows, haven't won a cup since the mid seventies and, uh, the bullies and like, but there's still a ton of history and a ton of passion here in the city. So you're right, Joe. I mean, the, the guy that wins the next cup here in philadelphia probably will get a statue of some sort and he'll he'll probably go right and i mean and i mean if you look at the teams in the 80s and the teams in the 90s the 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 80s teams you know they could have very well been their own dynasty but they ran into the oilers yeah and then the team in the 90s was there every year they ran into the red wings i mean these are dynasty Dynasty blocking a, a potential dynasty, uh, particularly in the 80s, because of how many times that they were right there in the mix. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think anybody says, nobody goes, and I'm not saying it's not disappointing, but nobody looks back on the Flyers' 80s teams and say, wow, that team didn't live up to its potential. They were leading a game seven in Edmonton in it, with a chance to win the Stanley Cup in 1987. So it's not like, you know, those teams aren't looked at fondly because they didn't win the ultimate prize. They were right there. They just happened to run into, you know, two or three of the 15 best players that have ever played the sport. And the, you know, one of the greatest dynasties in the history of sports. So, you know, you get back to that sort of level and you're, you're an all timer here. And especially with where they are right now, if you can get it back to that level. And like you said, I think that has to appeal to a coach, a potential coach. Absolutely. And I, the Flyers are in a daunting spot. Don't get me wrong. Uh, they're coming off one of the worst seasons in franchise history, and they're in this transitional phase where the direction is really not firm yet. And so don't get me wrong. They, I think among attractiveness, among the, the, the teams right now looking for a head coach, they're towards the bottom, as I mentioned. But there are things that I think the Flyers can sell to candidates that they're going to like. And you think about it, 
a lot of it is obviously ownership that wants to invest and ownership that cares, very good facilities. And then you think they can say, hey, we have a 23-year-old kid in net that we believe is the franchise goalie. We have a selfie trophy guy that we believe is going to be healthy. Um, and we have a Joel Farabee up front. So I think – and and then you can probably sell some of the youth on defense. So there are things I think the Flyers can sell to these candidates that I don't think they're going to be like, nah, man, this job looks awful. See ya. Like, I think people want to coach the Flyers. Elaine Vigneault wanted to coach the Flyers, and he's coaching some pretty impressive markets. Uh, and he he was very intrigued by the Flyers and all the, the qualities that go into it. So – I do think people will want to coach the Flyers. I don't think they're going to really have a major trouble trying to sell the, the job. Well, Joe. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah, Joe, and this coaching search will certainly, uh, I think, pick up. I think every day it's going to pick up. Uh, you would have to think the Flyers, I think, will want to have a coach in-house before the draft, which is the first week of July. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue to wait for that first shoe to drop, and we'll continue to cover it all here on the Flyers Talk podcast. But Bruce Cassidy, another candidate now in the mix that we'll continue to cover. But, Joe, thanks so much as always. Great seeing you. Great chatting with you. Continue to look for Joe's work on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. A big thank you to Ben Barry, our podcast producer and guru, for always being flexible with our time. And Flyers fans, of course, as always, thank you for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Round. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and listen, and we can't wait to talk to you next time.